2: Hank Philippi Ryan is the author of Her Perfect Life. Hank is the USA Today best-selling author of 13 psychological thrillers, winning the most prestigious awards in the genre, five Agathas, four Anthonys, and the coveted Mary Higgins Clark Award. She is also an on-air investigative reporter for Boston's WHDH-TV, with 37 Emmys and dozens more journalism honors. Watch for her latest release, Her Perfect Life. Welcome, Hank. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Her
1: Perfect Life. Zibi, I am so happy to be here this morning. And I'm seeing you holding that beautiful book. Have you ever seen such a gorgeous cover as on Her Perfect Life? I love this cover. And actually, I was thinking
2: when I was reading it, like, who is this girl on the cover? Who is she? Like, did you pick her? Did you find her?
1: Do you know her? A mysterious woman in this photograph who, well, you know, the art department at Forge did a fantastic job with this cover because I wanted something elegant and mysterious and a woman who was powerful and strong, but who had a secret. So I was hoping for a picture of a woman with a secret. And you know how it is when you get your cover from your editor, there's an email with an attachment and it'll have the subject line, your cover with an exclamation mark, which is supposed to telegraph, you're going to love this. And you hover your finger over the mouse and you know in one click, up is going to come your future. And I clicked on this and up came my complete vision of this book, a powerful woman with a secret, with that gorgeous girl with a pearl earring lighting. It's just so elegant
2: so true. I mean, yes, an absolute Vermeer original for sure.
1: Exactly. And I do think, you know, the the title is so ironic, her perfect life. And you wonder, and you know that this her life cannot be perfect and you wonder why isn't it perfect and why is it supposed to be perfect. And and you see this steely under, undercurrent of her trying to make a decision about what's going to happen next and how she can keep juggling and what the stakes are. And I know we're just talking about a picture of a woman on the cover, but that's what it tells me.
2: No, it means a lot. It, I mean, it pulls you right in for sure. Why don't you tell listeners what Her Perfect Life is about and what inspired you to write
1: this book? Oh my gosh. It is This is my 13th book, which is crazy. And when I think about this, I started writing when I was 55. So to have it be my 13th book is kind of amazing. The DNA of a Hank E Ryan book, if I can say so, is sort of a twisty, turny, psychological cat and mouse thriller. But which character is the cat? and which character is the mouse, and that's what her perfect life is all about. It stars Lily Atwood. Lily Atwood is a television reporter who is so beloved that her fans actually made a hashtag for her, perfect Lily, and everyone knows who Lily Atwood is, and that may be her biggest problem. She is in the spotlight All the time. So she's worked hard and she's devoted and she's a good journalist. She has fame, she has fortune, she has Emmys, she has a beautiful, beloved seven year old daughter. But she also has one dark secret a deep, dark, life-changing secret. And her problem is, how do you keep a secret when you're in the spotlight all the time? So Lily Atwood begins to learn that the spotlight might be the most vulnerable and dangerous place of all. Yeah. I mean, reading this book,
2: I was like, hmm, double-edged sword here of fame, right? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> you exactly. know, it felt very, she was very vulnerable. I mean, it's really... I mean, it, it made me sort of nervous on behalf of every public figure, like how, you know, anybody, there was a line you had about the fact that you're on TV, but you don't know who's watching you. Who's out there watching everything you do? You don't know. It just sounds like it, before it didn't sound quite as, I don't know, dark, but the way <laughs> you made it seem, I was like, oh my gosh, these poor
1: newscasters. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I've been, a, I've been a television reporter for 43 years. And I'm still on the air here in Boston. And I love it and I embrace it. I mean, we want people to watch. My whole goal is to have people watch my stories. My goal is to have people watch my stories. My goal is to have people know who I am. My goal is to have people tell me things. And as Lily Atwood learns, no one tells a secret without a reason. And that's really a wonderful undercurrent. But on the other side of fame is this idea that you really can't go anywhere without someone knowing who you are. And think about how that feels to know that your every move in every way is being scrutinized by people you don't know. You know, the good side is that people come up to me on the street and say, oh, Hank, Philip Ryan, I love you. People I don't know. And that's incredibly gratifying. But think about the dark side of that. It happened to me when I was anchoring the weekend news in Atlanta years ago. And I was, I just finished doing the 11 o'clock news PM and I was coming home like midnight or so. And there were police cars surrounding my house and my, the house where I lived in Atlanta had been broken into, burglarized while I was on the air. And the police caught the guy and he told them that the reason he had chosen my house, which he knew was my house, was that he knew I wasn't home because I was live in the studio on television. So in live TV, you not only know where someone is, you know where they're not. And each of those is equally potentially dangerous. It's usually fine. It's usually wonderful. But if someone wanted to use that knowledge for nefarious, evil, sinister, revengeful reasons, it just wouldn't be hard to do. And that's what I was trying to show in her perfect life, that of course, you know, Lily's glamorous. She has makeup people. She has hair people. She has a nanny. But she works very hard And every day she's vulnerable. And she chose this life, but her daughter did not. Her little daughter, Rowan, didn't choose it. And what position is she putting, what vulnerability, what dangerousness is she putting her little daughter in by her choice of career? So it's a balance, her perfect life is this balance between motherhood And her responsibility to her daughter, she's a single mom, and her responsibility to her job as a journalist and to be brave and intrepid and to go into places that people might not want her to be, she can take risks for herself, but can she take risks for her daughter? And that's all part of this balance that I focus on in the book. I feel like a lot of
2: it is about trust, right greer who works with lily who she thinks is her you know right hand woman and trusts implicitly in one of the scenes where they are filming the sort of behind the scenes right why is lily so perfect and you know here you are with your daughter at home and everything lily's like do not put her face in that's enough like i don't want her you know this is not about her and greer is like no 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 it's fine i won't put her face in but then you show us what greer is thinking and she's like well maybe I'll just slip it in. And it's like even her most trusted people. and of course, a lot happens with this relationship along the way. but you just it just sets it up that you just don't know and you don't know who to trust. even you know, and and how do you protect your daughter when your your whole life is public domain like that? just like
1: you were saying. Exactly, exactly. I I love hearing you talk about her perfect life, Zibi. It's so great. It's funny because, you know, I I sit here for a a year writing this book by myself, and then there's the moment when someone actually reads it. And I I really think that the book is not fulfilled until someone reads it. So the idea of having you tell me about the book is (laughs) is, is just so great. And I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Greer is Lily's producer. And the producer reporter team in television is this incredible marriage of necessity, of talent, of ambition, of skill. Television is a very nomadic, local television is a very nomadic. Kind of job, and you're always wanting to go to a bigger market to get a better job, to be more, you know, higher on the ladder. So Greer, Lily's producer, her teammate, is not only working with Lily to make sure that Lily's career blossoms, but also that Greer's career blossoms. And so Greer is trying to balance her loyalty to Lily, her teammate, with her kind of loyalty and ambition. For herself. So if she can put Darling Little Rowan on TV and have people watch it and have the ratings go up, might that not be better? You know, what if she convinces herself that Lily is really wrong and that everyone wants to see her daughter and this will enhance Lily's reputation? And there's, you know, there's this manipulation that we do of each other. It's interesting because my books are not graphically violent. I don't like inappropriate language. I don't like graphic violence. I don't. Like graphic sex and books, you know, I don't do that. But what I do in Her Perfect Life and all all my books is sort of mind games, it's sort of manipulation and gaslighting and what we do to each other you know, how destructive a weapon our emotions can be, just as destructive as a gun or a knife, what we do to each other and how we try to convince each other of things and how we as individuals rationalize that what we're doing is a good thing.
2: It's true. And I feel like also Greer feels this sense of entitlement because Lily had to turn down this big job offer in New York City for Rowan's school. And Greer sort of she was like, I'm so sorry, but Greer had attached herself to Lily at this point. And she's like, that's okay. We'll stay here. She's single. She doesn't have any, not even a pet, right? Because she's never home. But because of that trade-off, I think Greer feels, well, if we need to bolster ourselves here, you know, I did this for her. Now she has to do that. You know, it's sort of like a I pat your back. What's the expression? I
1: pat your back. You pet mine <laughs> pat mine, or whatever. Back, whatever it is, yeah. And this is scratch, how scratch my back. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I think it works for pat your back too. Actually, I think that's kind of brilliant, Zibby, because if I'm nice to you and you're nice to me, and where everybody's nice to each other, then probably that's a good idea. When it really is a trade-off. It really is this, it really is this currency that we have that I'll do something for you and you do something for me. And usually it works except when it takes a darker cast. When we use, you owe me, you know, I did this for you. So now you owe me and you start hearing the difference in the tone. And that's what suspense is. That's what a suspense novel is. That's what psychological suspense, like her perfect life, that's what that is. Oh, you know, realizing, and we all have friends, we all have acquaintances who do this, who sort of pretend that they're doing it for you, but they're not, you know, they're doing it for themselves. And that's a wonderful thing to plumb, to write about in novels of suspense. And that's what I think makes books like this, psychological suspense, domestic suspense, be so relatable and engaging because I want my readers to think, ooh, I know somebody like that. Or even, ooh, I felt like that. I didn't really recognize it. So it's in this illumination of a, sometimes that we all have a little bit of a darker side, and how we have to understand what that is. Plus, it's about the power of guilt, right? When you do something, and then you think, oh, this isn't qu- not quite. This is not quite right, but nobody will notice. Nobody will notice. <laughs> uh, and that's exactly what what they notice.
2: So Hank, why? first of all, how did you learn how to write? I mean, the way you speak about psychological thrillers and dramas and all of this and what it takes, like, is obviously like so on point as you've mastered with your, you know, collection of books, but you're, what made you, like you were already a successful, (laughs) you know, journalist. Why go into writing these types of novels? And how did you sort of pick up that skill along the way? com
1: moms don't have time. <laughs> I love this question because it makes it makes it sound like there's a plan in that. It <laughs> makes it sound like, ooh, I had this process that I was my five-year plan. There was nothing like that. I can tell you very quickly, you know, my husband and I don't celebrate the anniversary of the day we met. We celebrate the anniversary of the day before we met. And we call it you never know day because you never know what wonderful thing is around the next corner. So you never know and we never know in our lives what decisions we make uh, that will bloom into something else. So I grew up in really rural Indiana, so rural that you couldn't see another house from our house. And my sister and I used to ride our ponies to the library to get books and we'd read up in the hayloft of the barn behind our house. And that's where I would read Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes and Nancy Drew and, you know, all the wonderful Golden Age mystery authors, Niall Marsh and Josephine Tay and Dorothy Sayers. And I knew that I wanted to either be, I was maybe 12, that I wanted to either be a mystery writer or a detective. I thought it might be cooler to be Sherlock Holmes than it would be to write about Sherlock Holmes. So that's sort of what a television reporter is. That's sort of what a journalist is, is a detective. You know, we're tracking down clues and uncovering secrets and, you know, telling the world about things. But one day when I was at channel seven, I just had a good idea for a novel. I knew it was a good idea. You know how, and you've had a million good ideas, if you know this, that when you, there's that moment when you have a good idea and you think, wow, this is going to work. This is totally going to work. And I came home and I said to my husband, I've got a great idea for a mystery. I'm going to write a novel. And my husband says, great, honey. <laughs> he says, do you know how to write a book? book? And I'm like, how hard can it be? You know, I've read a million of these. I've I've read thrillers and mysteries my whole life. How hard can it be? So I soon learned how hard it could be. But I persevered and I was so passionate. I was so obsessed. I was driven to do this nights and weekends while I was on the air. I worked all day at at my TV job and I came home and I just wrote. And that became Primetime, my first novel, which won the Agatha for Best First Novel. And that was... The crazy beginning, the random, unpredictable, unplanned, totally beginning of my second career as a fiction writer. But, you know, is it the Malcolm Gladwell you have to write a million words or something like that in order to be a writer? Think about it. When I started writing fiction, i have been writing nonfiction for 30 years at that point with a character who you care about with a problem that needs to be solved, an important problem that needs to be solved, where the good guys win and the bad guys get what's coming to them. And in the end, you want some justice and you want to change the world a little bit. And as an investigative reporter, that's what I did every day. And that's exactly what I did as a crime fiction writer. The difference is, of course, that I had to make stuff up. And I wondered, Zibby, whether i could that was the big hurdle for me you know would my brain after all these years of telling stories with a beginning middle and end you know but but i only could use the facts and i could only use the setting that i had and i could only use the real dialogue that someone said would i be able to make something up and as i sat here right at this desk looking out at the sugar maple tree in my backyard i realized that i could do that that I could create a world that never existed before, a world that I could introduce readers to that could take them to a new place, a place they'd never been in. It was so exciting. I mean, I even get goosebumps talking to you about it because that moment of realization that I had conquered something that I had wanted to do since I was a little girl is this, you know, it's really, you know, I, I always say to people, what, if you want to do something, why not now? Why not Why not be brave? You know, we, we are brave when we're teenagers, but we lose that bravery. We lose that self-sufficiency. We lose that idea that we can accomplish pretty much whatever we want, but we have to go for it. And, and that's sort of my mantra about this. Why not just try it now? What, what is there to lose? Because there's nothing to lose. And I'm in a completely different place as a result of just exactly that. You never know what wonderful thing is around the next corner. That's that's kind of how I feel about this whole podcast. (laughs) Well, yeah,
2: I I was... I didn't have to start it. I just like started it. And now look, I get to sit here and talk to people like you who I'm like, you know, I hang on your every word, the way you talk, the way you write. Like it's so interesting. so deeply interesting and inspiring to me. And I get to do this with you, but like, you know, this is what I do now. It's like amazing, but I didn't have to do this. Why not? That was sort of how I started too. Why not try it? I think I can do it. Why not? So anyway, I totally
1: understand. but oh, good. Um, I mean I was wondering whether whether you felt this way. If I, if I said to you Zibby, you know why did How did you get to do this podcast and you feel like I just thought it was a good idea. And I saw your face when I was talking about knowing that you had a good idea. And when that happens, I don't know whether it's bravery or naivete that, that you know the obstacles just seem to disappear. You just go for it and you learn along the way and everything isn't always perfect. Everything isn't always her perfect life. But when you face an obstacle, it's like if someone said if someone promised you, I mean, it's that adage that says, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? If someone said to you, I promise this will work. It may be tough along the way, but I promise you, you will be successful at this. You would say, okay, I'll do it. I'll try it because I know that I will succeed. And so everything always works some way. It may not work the way you thought it would, or hoped it would, but it works some way. And often the way it works is surprising and wonderful if you are open to embrace that.
2: I love it. I love it for you. I love it for Lily. I love, you know, it's like the such an inspiring message because I think people so often feel, you know, stuck and, and afraid. And this whole message is like, well, just try, why not? you know, why not? And just also knowing like, I'll handle it. Like, yeah, things will go wrong. And, you know, Lily handles it. And I don't know. And also just being aware of the trade-offs. I mean, One thing with Lily too is like all the Emmys that she wins and I'm looking at your Emmys behind you, which is like so cool because I don't think I've ever seen one in real life and this is as close to real life. as like, oh my God, they go all the way up the wall. (laughs) Oh, That's so cool. For people listening, I'll post this little clip on Instagram, I guess, so we can see all the awards, but it's so exciting. But when Lily is up there accepting her award, she's also in the back of her head thinking about the fact that her success sometimes comes and causes like the downfall of other people, for example, her investigative report of cafeteria work, not cafeteria, but the health system inspector who basically forges reports. And anyway, it's one of the, the things that wins her this award is, is un- uncovering this ring, essentially. Anyway, so it's like success comes at, at a cost. And who is the cost for? And I, I was just wondering about that in terms of you and your awards. And, you know, do you, do you feel like there's a cost associated with it? Do you f- feel guilt or something at some of any of the stories you've covered or like where did that little piece come from?
1: That is so wise of you, Zibi, so wise. Because you think, you you were talking about the Emmys. Every one of those Emmys on my shelf represents a secret that someone didn't want me to tell, represents a story that someone else would rather have kept hidden. And so part of my responsibility as a journalist, exactly as you say, is to weigh, you know, first do no harm, but if someone else is doing harm, how many people can I help by revealing that someone is stealing money or cheating or, you know, harming you in some way. We've done stories about the 911 system that was sending emergency responders, police and firefighters to the wrong address thousands of times a year in Massachusetts. And you call 911 and the people go to the wrong place. So the person who was in charge of that as a result of our story was fired And I had a moment of thinking, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, um, I didn't mean you to lose your job. But on the other hand, you were putting people at risk, thousands of people at risk. And so there is that balance. I mean, I've wired myself with hidden cameras and gone undercover and confronted corrupt politicians and chased down criminals and gone in disguise. And all of those things were to get to the secrets that people were hiding, that were harming The public. So was it risky? Sometimes risky. Was it scary? Sometimes scary. You know, I've been stalked and yelled at and threatened and followed and had people come to my home. I've people had people call and scream at me and say, "How could you do that to me?" And I say, "You know, I feel." You know, I say, "I didn't do it. You did. Mm -hmm. You did it." And so you have to get a little bit of a thick skin to be an investigator reporter, because, you know, I told you earlier that people come up to me on the street and say, oh, Hank, I love you. Well, there are other people who feel exactly the opposite about that. And you, there are people who do not want to see me in their doorway. I had a news director once who said to me that he said, every good investigator reporter comes to town and works until everybody hates them. And, that, and so, you know, that's that. Luckily, Boston is big. So there's a lot, I still have a lot of people to go. But yes, it is, in, in answer to your question, Lily has the same situation. Lily is a devoted, honorable journalist who has given her life to, you know, enlightening and education and illustrating problems and putting the sunlight on a problem. That's what she does. But that absolutely comes at a cost. And it comes at a cost her own personal scrutiny and her own personal privacy and her own personal vulnerability. And one of the things that starts her perfect life is when one of her anonymous sources who's given her story after story that really work out, so clearly this person knows something, starts telling her secrets about herself. Ah, so the tables are turned. She's the one who's telling other people's secrets. Now someone knows hers. And I loved the idea of how does a reporter feel when they're not the one telling the secrets, but when someone is telling the secrets about them and how do you protect your perfect life when that is what's happening?
2: Wow. Well, it... It is very clear why Rowan, Lily's daughter, feels like she is actually a spy and not a reporter, because talking (laughs) to you, it feels that way too, that you are a detective. You really are like one of those. Anyway, so I'm wondering what else you have, like what book is coming next? I'm assuming there's another book, but maybe not. Tell me what's coming next. And then also what advice
1: you have for aspiring authors? Oh my goodness, with the book that's coming next in a couple of weeks, talk to me about that. It's in I'm in the middle of my new book, which is I can tell you Zibi, I think nobody knows this yet, but it's Ooh. called her her new best friend, her new best friend, and it's about the power of friendship and how we how women deal with each other as friends and when that can be the best thing that could possibly ever happen but how someone could possibly weaponize friendship in order to get someone to do what they want them to do i mean the key of good suspense is what does someone want And how far will they go to get it? So I'm exploring in my new book, which comes out this time next year, Crossing Fingers and all kinds of things that you have to say to make good luck happen. will be (laughs) called. Thank you. Thank you for knocking on wood. Every little bit helps. will be called her new best friend. So we'll see what happens. You're talking to me when I'm about halfway through. So writers call this the muddle in the middle. (laughs) But we think, oh, my golly, I have no idea. But I always come out the other end and we shall see. You asked about advice to writers. You know, it's interesting. People talk about, oh, I'm an aspiring writer. And I say, are you writing? Because if you're writing, you're not aspiring. You're doing it. And I, I think that writing comes from love and writing comes from passion, And writing comes from the desire to tell a story and share a story. Sometimes I have bad writing days. Sometimes I'm sitting at my desk going, oh my golly, you just wrote the worst sentence that's ever been written in the history of humankind. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. And then I think, yep, that was pretty bad. Let's write another bad sentence, Hank. Let's just keep going and keep going and keep going. And I think that's my advice, Libby, and Zibby is just to, my advice, Zibby, is just to keep going. Because if you have a story to tell, you need to tell it. And no one cares about your book as much as you do. So if you don't write it, there's no one that's going to be calling you and saying, how's your book going, Hank? How's it going? You have to have the responsibility. You have to have the passion. You need to have the drive. You You need to have the joy every day, like I do, of sitting down at my computer and I think, okay, I wonder what's going to happen next. And that's what keeps me going, that joy of my own suspense, of creating my own mystery and discovering my own answers. I highly recommend it. It's work. It's difficult. But if it's not difficult, you're not working hard enough. And there is nothing like the joy of telling a good story. I love it. And a wrap.
2: (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Thank you. It's like so professional. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for even the backstory of this awesome cover for Her Perfect Life. I'm excited for your next book and yeah, like keep at it. This is so inspiring. So thank you for sharing your story.
1: Thank you, Zibi. I've had a wonderful time this morning. I'm a huge fan, as everyone is, and as you well know. And I I love the idea that you are bringing us all together to talk about things that we, that we share and care about, even in this crazy time. What you do is just more important than ever. So I'm pleased to be a part of it. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. All right. Well, take care and thank you for everything. <laughs>